0: Hello, folks, welcome back. And if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. You're listening to the High Performance Human Podcast, and I'm your host, Simon Ward. And before we get into this week's show, I just wanted to let you know about my new coaching program that I've created. You might already know about my SWAT Inner Circle. Well, this goes one step further. It's called SWAT Plus, and it gives you all the benefits of SWAT, which are things like year round training plans and our exclusive Facebook group. And it also gives you monthly group coaching calls including hot seats where we put the spotlight on one athlete to help them solve their specific training or lifestyle problems we've got a dedicated whatsapp group and personal guidance from me to set up your training plan to help suit your lifestyle goals the program is limited to just 15 people so if you'd like to join me and a group of like-minded endurance athletes who are not only building performance but also health in 2024 please click on the very obvious link in the show notes below right let's get back to the show this week we're back with james risley as we continue our conversation about riding the loop if you would listened last week you might remember that this is about three and a half thousand kilometers of riding with over fifty-five meters of climbing including some of the toughest climbs in france and spain It's effectively the Tour de France route for 2023. If you watch that, you'll remember how tough it was. Now, last week, we talked about the prep for the event and navigating life challenges such as work, relationships and sleep in order for James to get enough miles on the clock and feel ready on the start line. Now, imagine that we're in the event itself and James starts to talk about a few issues that he never even considered prior to the loop. Like what happened when 100 riders are in a line waiting to get coffee at 6am. And there's only one coffee machine that works very slowly. A challenge you probably never thought that you would get on a multi-day event but one which actually can put you in a bad mood for the rest of the day. In this episode you'll get a real idea of how even when things are way less than perfect the human body can still get things done as long as you let the mind do its thing. So buckle up and let's get ready for stage one with James. Let's move on to the event itself then. So you're doing exactly the same route as the Tour de France guys. Exactly the same route. I guess you probably didn't do eight laps of the Champs-Élysées um, in Paris. But apart from that, everything that they rode, you rode. But you rode a bit more, didn't you, um, on quite a lot of the days?
1: Yeah. So there were there were a few bits that we... That we wouldn't do because you just couldn't get up them, so I can't remember,, oh, I can't remember exactly which bit it was, but there were some days, you know one day they would finish around a racetrack, uh, is it navarro? um so and there's there's no way we could do that, but you would cycle to it, and so some of that kind of symbolic um finishes you wouldn't be doing, but you you did everything else up to that, and we would usually do a bit more or. Uh, more we'd start earlier and finish later because you would either cycle to the start of the start of the stage or you then finish the stage and if the hotel was within 10k they're not going to put a bus on for you so you'd cycle the extra 10k to the to the thing mm-hmm. so you end up cycling further um then then the actual tour
0: so take t- take us through your plan for every day um i'm going to talk about the logistics of transfers and all of that because you're not always stopping in the same place you're starting from but talk about the basic logistics of your day you know what time did you get up what did you have to do in the morning before you got on your bike um what did you do about lunch what time yeah. were you finishing that sort of stuff
1: so it was up between 5 and 5 30 every day um you would get up do a bit of well just a bit of mobility if you if you had time try and grab a shower you'd then try you'd have to pack up everything you've unpacked from the night before because you're packing and unpacking each day um because it's from a different um different hotel um make sure you pick up the kit that you've washed and hopefully it's dried overnight and if it hasn't you've just got a damn kit um you would basically then have to think ahead for what the day was going to be and go right what am I likely going to need um kit wise so am i going to be in the mountains am i going to need an extra coat i'm going to need you know does it look like it's going to rain all this kind of stuff because you as we'll talk about in a bit you would have you had kind of kit bags that you could drop off at various feed feed stops um you then can i just
0: can i just ask you about those then while we're on it um i've been on trips like this and you can have you obviously got your suitcase with all your main stuff in then you can have like a little day bag Yeah, and that goes in a different van, and that van goes to the feed stops. And so, if you want to get in and get a gilet or drop your gilet off or get some arm warmers or change your change your gloves or something, you can get into your day bag and then leave the stuff there. You don't have to carry all this stuff around with you.
1: Yep, and there were there were two two day bags you'd have, and there were two vans um, and four feed stops. So one van would do feed stop one and three, and the other would do two and four. So you would drop a bag with with each one of the vans. okay
0: okay so Um, then you get you get up um you've done a that stretched washed got gathered all your stuff i guess you have to take your suitcase down check out take it to the point where the van's going to put it um there's your day bag going in one there's your suitcase going in another
1: yep um getting breakfast and this is the other thing so again none of these comments are in any way um putting a slight on the organizers because they are made absolutely amazing and they've done it they did an incredible job however um these are french hotels we're staying in a lot of the time and they didn't quite grasp i think the the ask so so you know so some of the hotels you're staying in are one or two star or their motels and the only reason for that is because there is nowhere else to stay logistically um and a lot of what we were staying mainly in the same places the pros would stay in but what the pros would do is they go in and they clear everything out as we know so you know all the mattresses come out the kitchen gets gutted Everything you know is just basically gutted, and and they repopulate each day. But we didn't have that, so you'd go down to breakfast, and it was like Lord of the Flies. Like I was asking some of the chaps that've been on it, you know, what what kind of what kind of things should I try and get across? And it was like completely underestimating what up to hundred cyclists who've been cycling for a couple of weeks want in the morning. And there's sometimes it just be half a baguette and like a glass of orange juice, and you know, and you're looking around going, "This is, pardon, what what you know?" and so they, some some days were great, um, but it was heavily, heavily processed carbs. You know, it's a typical French breakfast. So we might get a croissant, some cereal, um, hopefully coffee. I mean, God, I mean the key for the coffee machine, because usually there's only one coffee machine. So people would try to get down there early just to try and get, I mean, I think one morning it was down there at four in the morning. Um, ha, just to get we, a
0: coffee.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. and you, Well, yeah. And you, we probably mentioned this in a bit, but sometimes the dinner was so crap um that you are absolutely starving um Mm. but the so so the mornings would would usually be a lot of um basically you're just exhausted and you're just wandering around in, in a tired haze trying to get some food and trying to make sure you put the right bag in the right place and you then either leave from the hotel or you would have a short transfer and they had a specific van for bikes that they'd load all your bikes into so in the mornings though if you were leaving from the hotel or you had a short transfer they've they've gone ahead of you and they've laid all your bikes out so you first thing in the morning you do you get all your kit load it all up and you'd go and find your bike and you would do your basics so it's like right well i've had a puncture overnight all that kind of stuff just make sure everything's basically working and mm-hmm. um, and then for the first pretty much every 40 kilometers you had a had a feed station and um you'd get a, a briefing the night before about the stage and the first so you know roughly what to expect for the the first first 40k but the way it worked was that you couldn't leave that first feed station until the last person had got there because what they wanted to do which i think was a really really good idea was just say hey it stops people going off and doing it as a pure race every day Mm. but it actually makes it far more collegiate and coherent and you're all together right so um you would get to that first feed stop and then you couldn't leave until the last last person had arrived um the the food there was always a banana and some nuts or some um kind of raisins and some cake and then you'd have a little board where you'd have to sign your name like cross your name off that you you'd got in and then it would tell you the next 40k roughly so you know after 5k you've got to climb this then it's downhill then it's this then this and this which is quite nice so you could then kind of like break it up in your head and we were literally you're just cycling feed stop to feed stop that's all, you, all mm-hmm. you're trying to do every, every single day you're breaking it down into you know I just looked at it as this is essentially almost 100 stages I'm going to be racing here you know ticking each one off as we go um the second feed stop was um coffee um uh biscuits and sandwiches. And the sandwiches were to be to be fair, you know, kind of just bog standard, basic kind of bread with um either jam or kind of chocolate spread, you know, all, all bit of cheese. It was all um vegetarian based because the, the problem the organizers had is that they're trying to cater on the move for a hundred people and they could literally be anywhere in France and they're to do it out the back of a van so they needed to make sure that the food was you know it wasn't going to go off it was easy to get hold of and really easy to to make you know so we ended up basically not having much protein at all during well during the whole day you wouldn't get much protein at all and um, the third free stop was lunch and that was usually pasta of some sort or kind of like rice um with some beans or cheese in it um a bit of watermelon maybe a yogurt um and then the last feed stop was uh it was always fizzy drinks chocolate bars and crisps so it's literal crap but you look forward to that because you you know you've probably been out for eight hours or whatever and you've got another could have another 40k after that um so yes yeah, so it was really interesting because you would you'd be fueled the day on stuff that really isn't very good so nutritionally to be fair poor um you're getting calories in, but it's rubbish calories. Um, and I came back heavier than I went, and I was bloated. And you know, water retention, a lot of people lost a lot of weight, but I managed to put it on somehow. But um, that was the yeah, so that was it really. And the great thing would be that at each feed stop, you'd usually have a mechanic um around. So if you're having an issue mm. with your bike, they could have a little look and a tweak. And then, as we were going through the day, depending on how you were doing as a group, you would you could stop and get a quick coffee somewhere or you know we'd stop and run into a little and get some food or whatever if you're really struggling. and the the key really was finding a group of not just people that you click with because that was the most important thing for your mental health was finding like-minded people that you could sit with and be a grumpy ass with <laughs> because over three weeks and I think I was probably guilty of this more than most people um you are not always the best version of yourself mm. you know there are points where you are so fed up and pissed off and tired and you've had enough that you think you know what I'm done
0: uh, let me go back to the food thing <clears throat> obviously you didn't know this in advance I guess some of those people who'd been on this event before might have uh, had an idea of what was coming. If you were doing this again, would you would you take your own food? Yes, this is tricky in that I
1: wouldn't take, so things I wouldn't take would be gels. They'd be pretty pointless, to be honest. Um, what I would probably think about doing is posting um, food to hotels in batches ahead of time, to be honest, without wanting to sound like over the top i'm not entirely sure what i would send um but whether it would just be some protein powder or or something along those lines or protein bars or or something that's non-perishable but high quality food because the other issue we had was the dinners were also crap sometimes um you know sometimes vegetarian well a lot of time vegetarian and very poor quality and also um you they'd run out of food because they completely misunderstood how much food they need so it would not be uncommon to get a pre or post dinner, McDonald's or Burger King, you know, or we'd have to go and find a service station and just get ice creams and just try and get as much food in as you can.
0: Okay. So that's my other question then, Bear, bearing in mind the logistics you just mentioned about, you know, trying to feed a hundred people in a short space of time, um, that the quality of the food uh, in the evenings and the p- scarcity of it in the mornings, um, were you ever tempted during the day to stop off uh, if you saw a cafe that was serving real food where you could go and get a a croque monsieur or a ham and cheese baguette or something um, that would just, you'd think, Oh, this is like Michelin star food. Um, Yeah. Did did you, did you, were you tempted to do that? Did you ever, did it ever come to that? Did you ever like, for instance, did you ever go out and just get a big steak? (laughs)
1: No, not not during the day, but um, there were, I mean, certainly afterwards. So um, a few of us would sometimes just go, you know what, we just, we just want to go and find a burger or some meat or whatever. And we'd, we'd wander off. And, and just to say as well, like the food wasn't always as bad as I'm maybe making it seem, but it was to a point that it's a significant consideration if you were to do it. And, you know, there were points where, especially some days when it was absolutely freezing and the weather was awful, you would just go find somewhere to get a pizza and one, once or twice, we stopped off and got some, you know, hot, hot, fresh food, um, yeah but it's interesting you just get into a mindset to be fair of just chunking it down into 40k bits and you don't always think of it like that it was more the when we'd finish a stage and you had to wait for a coach transfer that would then go off and get some food because we just if you had an hour if you've been out for eight or nine hours then you've got an hour's ride back to the hotel you 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 just want food um so yeah
0: okay so roughly what time did you start riding each morning I mean was there an official start where everybody departed together or could you could you all start leaving from say 8.30 between 8.30 and 9
1: um, so you could stagger the start um, I th- it was usually about 7.30 we left most days so you're either you're either starting the bike at 7.30 or you're on the coach around 7 7.30 with a view to then starting between 8 and half 8 um, mm. wherever you're going so what they would say is if you are one of the faster cyclists and you don't want to get frustrated and wait at the end of the first feed stop for everyone to to catch you up, hold on for 10, 20, 30 minutes and then set off. Um, but then after that, um, when the last rider gets back to the first feed stop, everyone can then go when they want. Hmm.
0: Okay, so uh, you're out there, eight o'clock, you've got seven or eight hours of riding plus all these stops. And of course, this is something that you and I have experienced when we're doing sportives, you get these stops and if you're not careful, you can loiter around at them for a lot longer than you really want to. And then that really eats into your day, doesn't it? So you're finishing later and then that has a knock-on effect on everything else.
1: Yeah, and you know, time slip was something that that we've talked about in the past. It's really easy for, you know, if you lose 10 10, 10 minutes fanning around at each age station well, it's 40 minutes gone and that might mean that you missed, the first bus back which then means you're an hour and a half behind the rest of your evening um, and by the time you get get back to the hotel you don't have a lot of time it goes so quick um and yeah and to, and to begin with that was one of the issues because you would either find a small group or, or you'd you'd get on a group where they're going a bit quicker than you realize because everyone's still trying to figure out how hard they want to go um or you're just really happy to be around cool people and you're just chatting and, natter, and nattering so you can get to a, a feed stop and before you know it you've lost 15 20 minutes and actually that's going to add up at the end of the day
0: sorry about that um needed to sneeze so at the end of the day uh, and this is the thing that i think a lot of people will find um difficult to comprehend you're not you're not riding into your hotel parking your bike and then picking up your bag and going to your room You've mentioned this thing about waiting for a bus to take you somewhere and it's not like it's waiting there at your beck and call it has to collect a certain group of riders and if you're the first one there you've missed the uh, you missed the first bus and now there's a bus that needs to take 20 riders and you're the first one of those and you're tired and you're cold and you're wet and you're yeah. gonna have to wait an hour i mean that if, yeah. if you've already had a bad day that must um just remove any sense of humor that you've got left
1: Oh, sense of humor failure. Yeah, 100 percent And again, not a criticism because the the logistically you can't put on five you know, five coaches to to take small groups back, right? So you found that the the stronger the cyclists would get back a bit quicker because they would either be back quicker, they get on the first bus and Therefore, they get back to the hotel first, which means that they can do all their washing, they can have far more downtime, get a massage, you know, all the kind of bits that, um that actually by the time you've, if you're a bit slower, and you miss the first bus, and then you might, and you just miss it, which happened on a few occasions, and you then got to wait an hour and a half just sitting there. The yeah. thing is, well, you're sitting there, you're rank, right? You, you're horrible. You're sweaty, <laughs> you're tired, you're covered in crap, and you're just sitting in a coach, you know, sometimes in the heat and, you know, they might not put the air con on and it was, yeah, pretty miserable. Um, yeah. I've,
0: I've been on a, when we finished off the marathon, we had a six hour bus journey with, with, you know, 50 people that hadn't showered for a week and a half um, that had been in the now, they'd been out in the sun all day. They were sweating. They were covered in all sorts. And then everybody would just... Their feet were in bits. Everybody wanted to take their socks off. Yeah. <laughs> you get used to the smell after a bit, don't you? But I guess if you'd been a um, another passenger getting on that wasn't used to it, it would have uh, it would have knocked you out pretty quickly. So you... Yeah. Okay, so you get back to the hotel um, and now you've got a whole load of chores. You've, you've talked about them already, but just go through them again. And, and did you... Uh, did you, after a while, get yourself into a little routine of the best orders to do stuff in? Yeah,
1: and this is this is where you kind of think about when you choose your roommate. Mm. Because one thing is, you know, you want to choose someone that uh, you, you get on with because having a, a similar sense of humor keeps you sane. But actually, if you're both getting back at the same time, it's a right pain because you're both trying to do everything at the same time. So if you can pick someone that's either quicker or slower than you, then actually you're either getting back first or they're getting back first. So, but, so you're, you're giving each other time to sort themselves out properly and you'd get back and you would they'd say great bike mechanics. So you'd either have a happy bike or a sad bike. And if you had any issues with your sad bike, any rattles or anything, you would just say, look, folks, can you have a look at this, please? You'd leave it with them and they would, they would see to it. And then you would, um, everybody that wanted one would get a massage. And I think a massage was 10 euro, and, they would be out till god midnight massaging people you know they were they were awesome but the problem was it was a first come first serve so that you get back you put name forward. so what would then happen is you would the later you get back the further down you get but because obviously a massage takes 10 minutes if you've got 100 people before you know it you could be out there till midnight now if you're on the slower ones you're, you're then making this call because you think right well my legs are in agony i really would like to get a massage but it's seven o'clock I've got dinner at eight. I've got to take my bag up to the room. And, you know, a lot of these places didn't have lifts. So when you've just been cycling all day and then taking your your suitcase up three flights of stairs, you've got to wash your kit, you've got to get clean, um, you've got to charge all your devices. Because that's the other thing, you know, you start to, you don't realize just how quickly all of your Di2 stuff and your heart rate monitors and power meters, it all just disappears quite quickly when you're cycling so much. Um you to do all that you've then got to do life admin so you know tell tell your family you're alive right or or call the other half or you know i was doing little um video messages every day so i could send your coach them. send your coach a message yeah. to let you know you're no, alright exactly yeah so it's working it's working yeah. i don't know how but it's working um yeah and then doing you know i i just write down you know a very very brief kind of mini journal of the day on my iphone and then you'd have to have dinner um dinner about eight half eight and then probably a post dinner dinner so you then have to go off and find a burger king or something to try and get some more food in um and then you get to 10 o'clock and before you know it yes yeah, it's, it's 10 o'clock and um yeah you want to go to bed and then bef- sometimes and the thing is where well, your sleep could w- was was awful because you're in a different room each night different beds um you couldn't always choose your roommate and sometimes you would there'd be up to six or seven of you in it in a dorm mm-hmm. in bunk beds and you need one bugger to start snoring and you can't throttle them. It's really, so yeah, you know, there was, there was some people that would go and sleep in the corridor because the snoring was so bad and they were so exhausted. They just went and took their, <laughs> took their duvet in their pillow and just fell asleep in the corridor outside. Um,
0: I, I've been on some of our bike trips when we're, you know, all of the things that you've mentioned there, we've experienced riding through the Pyrenees and getting to a hotel that clearly wasn't, used to dealing with cyclists and so we're all hungry we've ri- we, i think it might have been the day we'd ridden at the tourmalet and we're sitting there and you you just want a big plate of healthy food and out comes this nouvelle cuisine so he's got a small portion of meat and a couple of little vegetables and then you you basically you're devouring everything that's on the table the bread the breadsticks you know um this and that and the other I and mean, it still isn't enough you 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 scavenge the room for extra extra sources of uh yeah. dessert or whatever we've had that going to hotels where it's super hot and no aircon, yeah um no fans um there's no breeze coming through so even if you've got all the windows and the doors open you're just lying there it feels like you're lying in a sauna um your heart rate's already high because you've been riding in that all day you're probably a bit dehydrated and all you do is you lie there and you can feel your heart beating away and you're not getting to sleep and like you say then there's that annoying thing about the guy in the bed next to you it's fast asleep snoring and you're wondering why it's him and not you. Yeah. Um, and then you do fall asleep, but, but, but then by the time you've, you've, you know, you feel like you've fallen asleep, it's time to get up again and off you go. And you think, how am I going to get through another day? But you do, yeah. don't you? you? You do. And and actually looking back on it,
1: the, the actual cycling part of it was almost the least stressful, not, not in the moment, but when I look back and yeah. you don't realize the lack of, because I've got an aura ring so i was tracking my sleep as i was going and seeing how you know how bad it was and obviously it was bad you know just, mm-hmm. just saying it's crap um but the the impact of that was a very different type of i mean I'm i'm used to working shifts and you know in the past nights and things like that and i'm used to having poor periods of poor quality sleep but three weeks really does do something to you when you're doing that and the the cognitive failure was really interesting so you know we were talking about beforehand you know lists so every day you know when you get up right make a list of all the stuff you need so you don't miss anything because you get on the bus and people would forget stuff like the helmets or the cycle shoes you know in the mornings stuff that you think there's no way you could you could miss but I've had it at work before where you're so cognitively overloaded you can look at something but not see it mm. and that's what would happen you know I'm used to say looking at an ECG, heart tracing, and I can't actually process what's in front of me anymore because my brain's not working. Whereas with this, you can have a list in front of you, but you're not seeing it. um And so, actually, a lot of the things that we had put in place to try to mitigate things we thought about, after a while, there's nothing you can really do about it.
0: I've been on adventure races where, you know, there's obviously sleep deprivation if you're doing a multi day race. And after a couple of days, you'd be walking along a trail or be running or you know cycling, and you see bits and pieces of kit, um you know, a whistle, a map, um some energy bars. and you know it's like a it's like a trail of things that somebody's left so you can follow them. And then what you realize is that somebody stopped for something. And they've opened the backpack or their their little camelback or or something. And they've just in that tiredness forgotten to do the zip up. And as they're riding along and going over the bumps or running along, things are just dropping out of the backpack that they don't realize. And these things are going to have a significant impact later on when they go to get some food and there's none left or they're going to check the map and it's gone. Yeah. Um, You know, and like you say, it's it's just the accumulation of fatigue and that decision-making and cognitive um, stress, and I, I guess it's a it's a lot easier now when you have a Garmin or you you Carew thing that's telling you where the route goes. But still, there are times when you come to a junction when um, there might be an arrow there, or you you're still not sure, and you. You, you're trying to make a decision but your brain won't function so you're not really sure what way to go and then you end up losing 20 minutes until somebody else comes along and then you can take a, a joint decision on going the wrong way yeah. or the right way and,
1: and the thing is so they don't give out gpx files oh so really it's, um, it's all done by arrows so the the reason the Caruth thing helped is because it, it does it in real time you didn't need to have a gpx file uploaded and garmin at the time didn't do that but they do do that feature now but um part of the thing was the The relationship that the charity has with uh, the tour is really quite unique because the tour do not share information. Uh, Yeah, and and so part of the agreement is that we'll tell you roughly where we're going, pretty much, but don't GPX it and don't give it to anybody, please. So you'd get a rough idea of where you're going, but they would some poor sod would go out at about four in the morning every day with a load of um, yellow arrows. And they would literally mark, you know, the 180 mile route or whatever it is. Um, and then they'd have to sweep back and, and get them all again. And it's really easy to miss arrows <laughs> when you're tired. And especially if you're cycling in a group and you've all got your head down and you're just plowing in the wind and the rain. And, um, And you're not entirely sure where you're going um it is easy to 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 miss those and there was an option on the big mountain days or most of the days to do a shorter route so if you were feeling exhausted and you didn't want to do the big climb at the end there would be like another way around Mm -hmm. and that meant that you'd have at times multiple arrows where the routes were joining together and depending which angle you come at it it can either look like you go straight on and you return right and there was a couple of times we ended up going backwards mm. <laughs> up, up the shorter route um rather than going the right way and and so yeah really easy to make mistakes and you say add on half an hour 40 minutes for, for nothing
0: we've as i said we've done these big long rides that we've organized ourselves and we nearly nearly always have- um gpx files which everybody has but still people take the wrong route you know i remember doing the Zoo plan and coming out of morzine and um one of the lads who was ahead of me uh all of a sudden came up um and caught up with me and i'm like well where where have you come from he said oh yeah i took the i, I went up the Col de Zoo um because he did he, either his map wasn't working or, or something and he asked he asked somebody and he must have pronounced it in his yorkshire accent and they thought he'd said this route instead of that route so he ended up going up another valley in completely opposite direction and getting halfway up and then seeing a sign for so and so when he should have been going so and so and then coming back down again and then catching us up and he, he probably cycled an extra 10 and 15 kilometers but half of it was up a mountain pass in the alps yeah you know that's that's partly um sort of rider error partly mechanical and you know just partly bad luck isn't it but still um those mistakes can add up and again it, it all contributes to that sense of humor bypass
1: oh absolutely and and i went into this probably emotionally and mentally far more tired and exhausted than i had ever expected to go into it mm. and I, I it did this has been a polite way of saying i was a bit of a grumpy arsehole some days probably because <laughs> there are points where literally you just you, you're just done with everything right um and what you don't want to do is bring anyone else down so there were times when a few of us would self-extricate you know if you're sitting on that bus for an hour at the end of having just gone up a climb you know at the end of a, a 10-hour day or whatever and you're like right I need to get out of here so rather than sit down and be a miserable so-and-so at a big dinner with everyone it's like no no no, we're just going to disappear and just go and sit in silence. Was it ever was it <laughs> ever a, temp-
0: a temptation to just say, "Oh, I'm going to sack it off tomorrow." Let's go and have a bottle of wine each. <laughs>
1: well, it was. I mean, some people actually on them on the rest days, you do get the opportunity if you want to pay a single person supplement to have rooms on your own. Um, but some people hadn't done that, and they got to some of the rest days, and they thought. I just can't do this anymore. And they'd just go on booking.com and they'd they'd find one of the lads just found this five star hotel with a spa around the corner and went sod it. I'm going. I don't care if it's 300 euros. I need it for my mental health. And so he just disappeared and you get get these photos of him like in his nice dressing gown and you know the free slippers they give you, you know, by a jacuzzis. <laughs> okay. Fair enough.
0: Let's let's talk about um let's talk about some of the days then that stick in your mind. You you, you you mentioned and in, in the notes you sent me. You mentioned day one, heat, oh, off at 7.30, snap, crankshaft, car accident, two people retire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good start to an adventure, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's it. It was, it was an extraordinarily hot period during those mm. three weeks, and it, it was an unusual for it at 38, 39. Um, and it's not a safe thing to do, really, because even though – you know you're cycling in a group. It's not closed roads. Hmm. You know I think it was 160 odd hours. I think I did a cycling, and you're going through busy roads. And you, what we kind of the thing you started wishing me was good mechanical luck, because it's interesting how the the stress element changes from at the start. A lot of people are anxious and stressed and worried. Is that can I do this? And as you keep chipping off each day. And you get to within actually i've got four or five days left to go i'm probably fit enough to do this you just hope you don't get hit by a car or that your crank shot um snaps or you, you 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 don't notice a bend and you come off at speed because people you know few people got hit by cars and had to had to retire you know fractured you know broken bones and and things like that and um you know it's it, getting through it you were just hoping for I don't get ill get good mechanical luck um and and just keep going really um I mean the I had I have def- I mean my notes when I look back you know some of the best days of, or the best days on the bike I've ever had and you will go through this and you will have your best days ever and you'll have your worst days ever on on a bike you know there's an absolutely fantastic um elite cyclist called Emily who is um she's an ultra endurance cyclist and you know she she would talk us through each day and you know, so true at the start, you know, you'll you you'll meet amazing people. And actually, some of my best memories are the conversations. You know, it's the talking absolute crap of going up tourmalet, like you know, three of us moaning about our ex-wives or something that, that <laughs> made the whole, you know, just made you like therapy, you know, just made the whole climb go before you know it, you're up there. You can't remember everything you did, but you know everything about so and so's ex and whatever. Um I, you yeah, yeah, and and it is stuff like that. And uh, you know, when the, the lad's brought having a nap, you know, he 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 stopped and had a snooze in a field for half an hour because he was knackered on one of the days you know and it's it's stuff like stuff like that that you you remember you know it's um amazing people that really really humble you if you ever need to be humbled you go to this thing it was interesting that i was probably one of the younger people out there some of that i think is probably down to the prohibitive element of cost and time you need to go and do it but most people there in their fifties, sixties. Some people in the seventies, and when you're just chatting about what these people have done and experienced in their lives, it's just amazing. I mean, all different types of backgrounds, all different types of athletic history, and you know, the vast majority. I mean, you always get different, you know, characters that say you know you don't quite align with with you, you know, a bit personality clash or whatever. But just some incredibly great people. And and that for me is the big takeaway from it. I mean, we all met up in London about a month and a half ago, and it was awesome. You know, it's it's it is a it's it's a bonding experience, you know. And to spend three weeks cycling with the same group of people that you all get on with, it was it was fantastic. Um
0: you you know what you were saying there about talking shit when you go up to Hills. I can remember a um a group organized tour that we did not 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 one that we'd organized with a company called marmot tours and it was called the raid pyrenees so we started off from the northern end of the pyrenees in on the and you're on the french spanish border i think it was hendai and then we go you go right down to the southern end so the first two the first day is sort of you know riding off the coast into the foothills and then you've got three days in the mountains and then your fourth day um is just a half day really it's 96 hours or 100 hours you've got to finish it as long as you get to the checkpoints every night you're okay but i remember one day we were climbing up this this mountain and there was some Aussie there was a big Aussie guy there and i can't remember whether we passed him or he passed us my friend john the guy's going out ah, hey up, jb how, how's it going in this in australian accent and john went it's fucking relentless right and then when we were having everybody's we had this little prize amongst our group we had these we give these hats away every night you know for the best climb of the day best descender stupidest mistake and one of the aussies said can i come and present it and he came up and in his best australian yorkshire accent he went and the prize goes to john Blythe, because it was relentless (laughs) and i mean that that tour was 2011 and that phrase still sticks with us today Mm -hmm. 12 years later you know when it's getting tough it comes out of people's yeah. mouths
1: it's interesting when i got to the so one of the chaps paul he said to me i oh you know one of the things i'll never forget james was when we got to the top of columbia you got off and turned around and just went well that can go fuck itself <laughs> and just went and got a can of coke and it was like you you just you get you just yeah it's it, it was um it, it's all those little bits you know seeing people in a hat with, with a hand cycle coming up some of these things mm. you know and, and you're looking at people and you know that might have been out till 10 o'clock at night when it's been dark and they hadn't expected to be out so late so they haven't got lights on their bike so they've been strapping an iphone torch to to their chest and somehow mm. trying to navigate down the pitch black and you know all those kind of things it, it's like like an iron man where you know, the people that are out there the longest are the ones that are the hardest in my mind because mm. you're probably putting out a similar level of physiological effort working in similar zones, but they're having to do it for an extra four or five hours. They're, it's suffering the same rate of perceived exertion, mm. right, to get through, and it's the same thing with this. You just, you know, you look in awe each day of, of how people were, were, were out for so long and continually to get up every day and not moaning and just getting on the bike because, you know, this... It becomes a binary. In my mind, it became a binary thing. You either get on the bike, in which case you're finishing it. Whether they have to pull you off a mountain because you're unconscious or whatever, it's irrelevant. The the thought of not stopping isn't there because if that ever gets in your head, then you will bin it because of how tough the days are. So it's just binary: you get on or you don't. And. And being able to draw from those around you. And also, to be fair, there's some really important people in my life that have, have been through some incredible, you know, downs, um, you know, uh, difficult situations. And being able to, I went out actually thinking there were three people in particular that I thought when tough, get, when things get really bad, I'm going to think about how so-and-so got through this part of their life. Because if they can do that, all I'm doing is cycling up a bloody hill. Mm-hmm um so yeah so it's more that stuff I mean the scenery all blends into one (laughs) to be to be honest I mean there were a couple of days that did stand out I mean I've got I'm not I'm not a religious chap at all and um but I got as close to a spiritual experience as I think I've ever had going up Col de Loz um and and feeling something that was almost kind of ethereal really you know you're uh, at least because I'm not quite like that I've never had that experience before where you're just because by, by the end of that stage, I mean, you've gone through Meribel, you know, you're in a ski resort where there's no snow, there's no one around, nothing's moving. So it already feels like a bit like the walking dead, like it all feel, feels a bit weird anyway. Mm-hmm. And then you're you're going up this kind of paved goat track. And by that point, you're all so far spread out, that you can't see anyone. And then, you know, the, the sun goes down, it's getting dark, thunderstorm sets in, the fog sets in. All you might see is just a very small blinking red backlight in the distance somewhere. You, you've got cows with the cowbells going in and, and you're exhausted and you're mentally just completely gone. And it was just completely surreal. And it, it's that to me that, you know, is the part of the reason why I do this stuff. It's you want to, I, I mean, big big things motivate me, Always have done. Um, The, the question of can I actually do this is, is the thing that always drives me. Um, but it's that ex- that lived experience thing. I I, I want to know what it feels like, you know, to after 19 days or whatever, and all of that cumulative stuff, what it feels like up on that mountain when it's you on your own and you're determined not to stop and you've got a 20% gradient coming up and you've got nothing left in your legs and it's starting to piss and you have a rain and the sun's going down and it's dark and it's foggy and, do, do you know what I mean, that's the... That, that's why I, I get drawn into this stuff. Uh, mm. and that, So, yeah, when you say, you know, what was the most memorable stuff, it, it's all of that kind of stuff.
0: I hope you're enjoying the show so far and learning a lot. If you aren't already a regular listener, I hope you feel you might come back. Please make sure to hit this subscribe button so you know whenever a new episode arrives. I publish these twice a week, ad-free, And with the mission of improving the health and performance of endurance athletes around the world. And to help me, I'd love it if you could share the episode with one person you think could benefit. If you have a couple more minutes, perhaps you could leave me a review on your chosen platform once you've finished listening to this episode. Okay, let's get back to the show. I mean, it's amazing to discover what your body's really capable of, but also what your mind's capable of. I know we can you know we can read books by people like david goggins and you know some of the people who are you know put stuff on youtube that we watch to motivate us and we talk about being inspirational but I, I i don't i don't think most people will ever get to push themselves as hard as those folks and and experience that and wonder at what an amazing what an amazing machine we all have um that that gets us through life and that perhaps Perhaps, you know, some people might be listening and saying, that's just extreme. You don't need to put your body through that. But um, you learn an awful lot about yourself and your resilience, don't you? You
1: you do. And obviously got a lot of time and respect for for people like Goggins, but that's not a healthy approach to life in my, hum, my humble opinion. You know, a lot of what we do no, is I'm 41. I want to be the 70-year-old on the loop, Right. That's that's plugging away, still living that experience, being healthy and well, and and especially people like Goggins, you know what they're putting their bodies through, and you see it with a lot of endurance athletes. It's not until they're fifty or sixty it hits them like that. You've got to pay the debt, you know whether that be you know insulin um, insulin resistant diabetes coming in. You know we you, you see a lot of triathletes that that actually get cardiovascular disease because of the the inflammatory um effects of all the endurance training they're doing and and how that can lead to atherosclerosis and all this kind of stuff. At some point it's going to come back, you know, and and actually now we kind of focus on right, well, what do I how can I live a sustainable life? Because this was not a healthy pursuit. I mean I was fit, but I was not healthy doing this. I mean I was a wreck when I came back. And during it, it was not something that like it was worth the experience was worth it, but it's not something you can do every every day or every year you know it's going to take its toll and it took its toll on me when I got back um in a number of ways
0: you said in your notes that the biggest thing you learned about mental toughness is not the ability to endure or suffer the real strength is to self-manage yeah you um yeah can you talk about that a little bit please because I know a lot of people think mental toughness is being able to put with pain and discomfort um for as long as possible
1: yeah I it, it's odd that because that's what I used to think and then you do a few things and you realize actually you just get conditioned to it because it's relative so mm-hmm. you know the each experience you go through in, in life in in my opinion no matter what it is whether it's staying up late for hours studying for exams or working at two in the morning or you know doing an iron man that perception and the the lived experience you've been through changes your baseline each time of what difficult is and so to me this thing about enduring suffering well it's just a it's just a personal thing it, it's inevitable because if you're wherever you want to go if you want to push yourself a little bit further and explore what you can do next that's just a natural consequence of seeing where you're at, at the moment and how you're going to get a bit further and and what those words mean to people is completely different You know, so what some people might think, oh, God, this is really bloody awful. I can't To other people, they're like, this is normal. Like, so you get conditioned to it. So I I don't think of it like that because it's, to me, that stuff's really around, are you motivated? You know, so do you have a life purpose, whatever it might be, that inspires you Hmm. to then be motivated to then have the self-discipline to achieve the goal through the plan you've set? And, and that's the hardest thing, the hardest thing I found in the, you know, the 10 months leading up to this was, was the day to day, right, I'm going to get up again at five, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm then going to go and do a job that I'm finding very difficult, I'm then going to go back to a travel lodge, I'm going to have dinner, you know, in the gym again, or all these little bits and then I'm going to come back to an empty house and then I'm going to go through all the repercussions of the of a relationship breakdown and all of that crap. What that to me, like being able to, to manage yourself, be it not just physically, but mentally so that you can recognize how your life's evolving as you go through things and the effect that increasing stress levels is having on you and then self-regulate and try and manage yourself to get the best out of yourself. You know, it's, as I think with a lot of this, you see people that think if I don't hammer myself in every session, it doesn't count. It's mm. nonsense. Absolutely nonsense. Cause it, you either you're you know, especially for some like, you know, just cause we mentioned Goggins. I mean, he's broken his body a number of times. I mean, he's done a huge amount of damage to it through overtraining. It's enabled him to do great things. Absolutely. But is it through a healthy, sustainable mindset? I'm not sure. Now, when you then think about, you know, we talked about the burning, uh, the boiling frog analogy, because what I noticed over those six, seven months leading up to, to, to France was I had all these bucket little bits of stress in my life that I'd figured out a way to try to make them work then each bit was slowly getting more stressful without Mm. realizing. And it's that thing you can put a frog in water Mm -hmm. and then heat it up and it won't realize it's boiling until it's died because it's just getting this conditioning to, to the, to the heat and the temperature as it increases. So it normalizes it. Mm. And that's what happened to me. I had started to accumulate lots and lots of little bits, which were very, very unpleasant and to my mind was like enduring life at that point getting to his little bits um but actually the real strength was how do i be really brutally honest with myself um in what i need to do now to change and accept that reality's changed and how do we then work together to put in a sustainable plan moving forward and then stick to it
0: so just going back to that whole mental toughness thing and the you know the day to day grind. I've often had conversations. We we might have had one after an Ironman when folks say, "Yeah, yeah, I need a couple of day, couple of weeks to recover from this." And I'm as coach, I'm trying to remind them, look, it's not just the couple of weeks. You know, it's not just the the ten or twelve hours or fourteen hours, or whatever you've spent doing this Ironman. It it you've been doing this training for six months. Yeah. The toll of getting up every morning, of having to follow that plan of, you know, okay, I've got to get up at 5.30, I've got to get off to get to the pool, I've got to get to the pool at 6.30, I've got to get my kit ready, I've got to have my food so I can go to work, I've got to have the right shirt, you know, just that planning, that day-to-day planning, it does become the norm and you do get into a routine, but still um, it, it just adds another layer of stress. Now, you know, talking of all the things you had to do driving up to, to Wales, staying in a hotel, you know, not being able to eat decent food, not sleeping in your own bed, and, and that, you know, that's that, that doesn't seem like much of a hassle, but, but it is a hassle when you're trying to do a lot of training. And then when you're coming home, and you think, well, we'll come home to a house, we'll come to home to a house that's nice and warm and welcoming, except you split up with your partner, so either it's a bit, uh, you know, the the um, atmosphere is, um you know, not very pleasant, or there isn't any atmosphere because it's an empty house and you know and you could be, be back wrong, and
1: yeah. yeah they're all first world problems right They they're all, but 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 what we're talking about <laughs> is I think how you navigate your way through mm. world problems when you're trying to do lots of things you know because that's what I think a lot of people try to do now isn't it is how can I do as many things as well as I can without everything imploding and that becomes really hard and you know interestingly we talk about it's so the six months beforehand I mean I, I looked at the my training peaks numbers before before and after right so my acute training load uh, was 42 going out to France. Yeah, chronic training load was 102, and my training stress balance was 56.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's that's still quite a lot. I mean, a chronic training load of 100 odd is a reasonable amount of training, right? <laughs> At the end of it, my my fatigue, my acute training load had gone up to 356 yeah. from 42. My chronic training load had gone up to 215 from 102 and my training stress balance was a hundred was minus 136
0: mm-hmm.
1: now that whatever you think about those metrics and how accurate they are whatever that shows the hole that you've put yourself in and actually you probably need to recover you probably need a lot of time off just from that six month block getting mm-hmm. to that reasonable level of fitness mm-hmm. you know, When i came back in theory i was supposed to be doing um Iron Man Italy in September.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, did, I, 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 remember, I remember having a conversation yeah. about that and saying, you, you said to me before, and what, what do you think about Iron Man Italy? And, and I think uh, I tried to be the sensible one among us and say, why don't we have a chat about that when you get back? See how yeah. you feel.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I deferred <laughs> it from the year before because I I'd, I'd injured my Achilles. And the thought was, well, wow, it's a flat course, only 400 metres of climbing.
0: I won't, need to, do any, I won't bike, need to do any cycling for a bit. <laughs> I was like, well, I
1: thought if I'm ever going to go and smash a bike a bike record, you know, for me, it's going to be on the back of all France. But, you know, when I got back, I, you know, it was in such a mess, you know, I, 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 yeah, no way on earth that I was going to be able to do that.
0: You've been, a, you have been in a bit of a hole, haven't you? Do you, do you mind talking about that? No, absolutely. A little bit. Because, yeah. you, you know, obviously there's the, there's the physical toll of that whole thing, you know, and it's yeah. not just the riding. We talked about the disruptive sleep for three weeks, the poor nutrition, you know, so that, that those have compound effects on your body, yeah. pl- plus the emotional stress. Plus then you've got to go back to work and, y- you know, you can't take, you've had three weeks off, so you can't sort of ring in sick for another week. Um, so you've got to go back into that routine.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the. So the the physical side was interesting in that, you know, some of the notes I made just going through the three weeks, you know, I've got here, like my SI joints want to explode, you know, and there's a point where I thought that my, my, my STEM a, a twisted.
0: <laughs> I've just read and I was, that, and I was giggling. I'm wondering what the hell's that.
1: And I was absolutely convinced that I'd hit something and somehow it twisted. And and I t- took it to two of the mechanics, and they're like, "No, it's dead straight." And then I went to the massage, and i like, "James, you're twisted." And I actually, because of like, yeah, just right near the end, my body had just like my right hip flexor had just really you know tightened up, and I just twisted my entire body. So it, you you kind of came off, and for the for at least a week afterwards um I was waking up in the night with um with leg pain um I had you know written down like head fog you know my head was was completely gone and actually people at work were just like you're not right you know they didn't tell me at the time but like for the first week or two there was something just not right about me Mm. um and it was just being overtired sleep deprivation um and you know, mentally and emotionally, it completely hammered me. I mean, I went into it um, uh, very, very stressed. Um, and by stress, I don't mean like feeling overwhelmed because I, I tend to relate to stress, not necessarily as a feeling of an inability to cope mentally, but the chronic physiological effect of, of that stress has on your body and the, the chronic cognitive impact of of always having lots of things going on. Um, and 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 emotionally, I was completely shot. And I think the only way I got through um, the personal stuff was by having this as my purpose. So by having something that to me meant something significant um, gave me that overarching purpose to keep going, and it made everything else far far kind of like relatively less important you know because you can focus on this big thing and that that was driving me and filling my weekends you know I think near the end we were doing like 20 hours of training a week so you know I was filling my time plus doing a busy job Um, but then I came back and massive anticlimax. climax I mean it was it was bizarre mm-hmm. I mean I on the last the last day driving going to Paris like after after about three or four hours you kind of you pull in and, oh, my dad and my brother's there with all the other family members and all that's the Eiffel Tower. Oh, are we done now? Oh, okay. Um, huh. And it was like, it was odd. You just, yeah, and I know a lot of people get this, but the the anticlimax was was interesting. And, but then coming back, you know, I, I'd lost that purpose and um, it then basically made everything else that I'd basically put off um, dealing with, I then had to deal with, but in a state where I was exhausted, and I got really low. I mean, I was depressed, and I had a really bad couple of months. Um, uh, yeah, really kind of like emotionally disengaged from everybody. Um, and we we actually stopped chatting, didn't we, for about a month or so because I was just like,
0: first time I, in first time in our relationship, James, you didn't <laughs> talk to me. Exactly, and, and it was
1: because <laughs> I yeah, and I just realised I had I had nothing to give myself, let alone anybody else and so I just shut off completely and went into a bit of a hole I kind of knew that I needed time and but what I needed to do was take all the pressure off myself Mm. so you know didn't do any training um so I just went to the gym just to keep active did some weights and whatnot but nothing structured at all um at all we stopped chatting just because I thought I can't I can't do this um you know I I didn't because it felt like almost a failure every time we'd have a chat in the week because I was the same old things like, yeah, I feel like shit. I'm in a bad place. Um, I don't want to do anything. <laughs> it's I'm,
0: like, I'm, I'm going to use that. I think it's me, not you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was yeah. <laughs> me,
1: not you, It's Me, not you, Warden. Um, and, uh, and and it, took, it did take me a long time to get out of it, but it was good in a way because I hadn't realized how much pressure I had been putting on myself. I'm prone to do it anyway but especially with work. And it was, it was good coming back and actually breaking and going, I'm going to change my relationship with work. I'm going to stop being on my laptop at eight at night. I'm going to stop looking at it at six in the morning. If stuff doesn't get done, it doesn't get done. And, you know, having those conversations with the people you trust around you at work saying, right. Self-preservation here. If, if you think that I'm going to, that my performance is dropping, that's going to have to be okay for a bit.
0: What's, so there's a couple of things there to, to, to unpick. The the first is this, this is a huge challenge and it requires a lot of preparation, not not just physical, but logistical and mental as well. You yeah. know, and and yet you still miss a load of stuff, you know, things that happen that you thought, oh, I wasn't expecting that or oh, I didn't think it'd happen that way. And then, you, like you say, you get completely immersed in that. And for three weeks, that's your whole world. And I think you talked yeah. about it, like you, you start out, imagining that it's a big spotlight and you can see everything. And then it just shrinks down into this tiny little beam laser focus on getting yeah. through the next day, getting to the next checkpoint, getting to the next feed yeah. stop getting to bed, getting to start the next day. And you really start being in the moment and just trying to get through it, don't you? And and that brings a lot of stress. And I, I think the sort of people who enter challenges like this, like yourself in the main, they, 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 they like big goals. They like big challenges. They like to have a lot on They They're sort of the high achieving people. Um, but that in itself can b- bring problems. Can't it as, as we've discussed, because the bigger the challenge and the bigger, the high, probably the bigger, the low, you know, and this certainly not in terms of how fast you rode it, but in terms of what you achieved is a personal best on every single, you know, most cycling miles done in one week, in two weeks, in three weeks, most meters climbed, you know, most hours spent on a bike, but, but, um, to coin a phrase that I've heard before, a personal best result needs a personal best recovery as well, doesn't yeah. it? A longer recovery, and um, it, that whole I've uh, again, as you know, in thirty years of coaching, a bit like you will in the medical business, you see things coming up again and again. Folks saying, "I'm going to do this event," and then I'll, I, at the end of the summer, after I've had a few weeks off, I'm going to do this one, not realizing the enormity of the recovery process that they've got to go through. And as a coach, I shudder sometimes, but I don't want to. I don't want to burst somebody's bubble, but also somebody has to be the voice of reason when when somebody's really focused. And the stress yeah. that you mentioned about, you know, what's in your life, what's happening with the breakdown of relationship, the traveling and the job and the training, it, it's sort of more obvious from a coach's point of view, but you've got to try and, somebody's fixed on doing this. You've got to try and help them work through it as best you can. And, um, it, and, and sometimes let them work out their own issues. You can't, you can't, you know, it's like telling somebody the stove's hot but they're still gonna put their hand on it and realize for themselves
1: yeah because there's, there's always that thing of knowing something and believing it isn't it and um yeah uh it, it was an incredibly intense experience i mean the, the, it was a proper pressure cooker um mm. and and not not because other people were putting pressure on you it was just you you feed off the environment around you right and everyone's going through the same thing and and so it does you end up getting worked up quite a lot and you know, this is what, you know, just going back to think about how I perceive mental toughness, right? Now, when I came back and I broke a bit or quite a lot, now I was suffering and enduring in that point, right? But that's not me being mentally tough, right? The, the mental toughness was the ability to pull myself out of it by making the difficult decisions and having the self-discipline to go, I need to think about a way out of this and the plan I'm going to have to make is not going to be one that I want. But it's what I need to do and stick mm. to it in mm-hmm. order to get myself out. And 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 do you see what I mean with the analogy?
0: Yeah, I do. And I there's a whole point in there about you know there must have been times when you got back when you know I know we'd had some of those conversations in the early weeks when it felt must have felt, felt like the walls were closing in on you and you just wanted to curl up in a corner and cry and yeah. you know cuddle the cats but but that that's vulnerability and show, and I, I know a lot of people th- and you know we've t- i've talked on this p- podcast with us about Brenny brown and vulnerability and self-compassion and i know a lot of people would think well you know having a pity party is a bit it is it is a bit like a pity party if you're having tears and feeling sorry for yourself but you know there's, there's nothing wrong with showing a bit of vulnerability and there's nothing wrong with admitting it and it, and talking about it with other people because that's that is probably one of the only ways you're going to get out of it is facing the facts and laying yourself open and bare
1: agreed and and i think there's a lot to be said about there's a difference between a victim mindset and life is not fair which is a mindset and 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 that that is that is i agree is not right which is very different to acknowledging that we're we're not machines we're human beings we're emotionally driven machine driven beings right and um it, it it can be entirely normal for you to process life events and come out with these feelings and emotions. Mm. Now it's how you <clears> deal <throat> with those and reflect on them and manage them moving forward that that is the difference. You know, because you either go, oh my God, life's so fair. Everything's fallen up. Everyone's, you know, people have left me. Life's hard, blah, 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 blah. blah. It's so fair. It, it's unfair. Woe betide me. Or you go, this is really shit. I'm going to allow myself to feel this because it's a legitimate response to to what's happened. But I'm not going to let it define me. It will pass. And then I'm going to pull myself together, fucking get on with it, and figure out how to live a happy, healthy life, Mm. rather than woe betiding me that everything's unfair, because life's not fair. It's not a bloody fairy tale. (laughs) You know, and it might not be all right in the end. Which is, I think, one of the big fallacies that we, we get told when we're young, it'll be right in the end. Well, it bloody might not
0: be. Do, do you know, you and I were talking about watching that program, Billions, and in there, there's a chap who keeps saying, Well, whatever, whatever's meant to happen will happen. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. like the whole fate thing, isn't it? But um, so you, you've obviously learned a lot from this, um, and th- there's been lots of lessons about physical preparation and mindset. Um, and not wanting to let the grass grow, you've decided to take on a big challenge next year, um, which is the dragon's back. Uh, but it's more of a foot race. This, well, actually, it's not. Let's not call it a race. It's a foot challenge. You're not going. Yeah. You're not taking the bike, um. But yeah. it's multi-day. It uh, involves similar physical challenges. But what I'm more interested in is I'm reflected on the loop mm. and the planning and preparation mm. and you know the daily logistics of sleeping yeah fueling yourself what lessons have you learned that that, that you're going to take into that um yeah. whole experience and what what would you be recommending other folks who are taking on these big multi-day challenges
1: i think that the big thing for me is understanding why you're doing it in the first place so you know maybe 20 years ago um, I would have done things to define myself by them to derive a sense of self-worth and self-esteem and confidence from so that you can portray this external thing to the world and perhaps when you you lack confidence and and you know inner security and whatnot you you derive a sense of self-worth from the achievement mm. that's that's not a sustainable or healthy way in my mind of of, of kind of, of of a motivation to to do big things now you know the when we, the reason that I have looked towards a dragon back and that was after a period of of really having a bit of thought and a bit of self reflection because i am goal driven and that's not a good or bad thing it's just what it is and i need to manage myself and manage that element of my personality well because if i don't then i won't be fulfilled um so i then started thinking right well what what's going to be something I can do healthily and that will help keep my mood high. So getting out, training, structure, fresh air, right? So I want to go and do something, right? Well, I don't really like swimming that much, although I'll do it if I have to. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've had enough cycling. So I wonder if there's, you know, some kind of ultra or something running around. And because I'm now working in Wales, and you know there's some incredible colleagues that I work with who have done the dragons back and they do ultra runs or they do mountain medicine or the helicopter rescue stuff or they crew on it and a lot of them were talking saying James have you ever thought about doing this or come for a run come spend a weekend up here and so I thought well this would actually be a really good social thing because I've become more professionally and socially isolated as my personal situations change and I've become more senior in my organization so I thought Well, that that ticks a lot of boxes, gets me out, gets me in the mountains, which I like. Um, And you know what? I don't know if I could do this because I've got crap Achilles um, Mm and they keep going. And actually the challenge to me now is, and I think we've said this before, I'm probably fit enough to do it. But can I get my body and the frame robust enough? in order to get through it. And that's the challenge now for me. It's right. Can I get my strength and conditioning as well as getting conditioned to the terrain and learning a new skill of how do you run over a mountain as dragon's back is you start at Conway, you finish it to uh, Cardiff and you run all of the, all of the mountains of Wales. Well. So it's on the, the profiles, like a dragon's back or the point bit. So you're doing, um, I think it's 50, 60, 70, 70, 70, 60 K per day. And around three to three and a half thousand meters of climbing a day. Mm. Mm. So and and it's you know, backpack, your your camping and stuff like that. So I thought stuff I've never done. So it'll be new, it'll be a new challenge. It's a new it's a new kind of way of thinking about how am I gonna prep for this? I don't know what it's gonna feel like on day three of having slept in a tent of having covered 150k and being exhausted, not a wash and all this kind of stuff. So
0: yeah, yeah well, and not only that, um I don't know what your food's going to be like. You know, you talked about the food in France, but you were getting food in France. Are you carrying your own food here? Is it like um, is it like an army mess tent that you're going to get where they're just they're just putting together potatoes and a bit of meat for you, and you get in and you have that? Uh, or are you carrying um, meals ready to eat type of rations in it, freeze dried where you're going to have to cook your own stuff up at the end of every evening?
1: Yeah. And, and that's the thing, right? Because one of the, the notes I said to to you at first bit was right. I need to sort out the protein element because I really suffered from the fact I was just eating carbs. Mm. And, and this event will be that kind of mess tent thing where you get food, but it's likely going to be vegetarian again. Uh, so it can cater for everyone and stuff. So, you know, one of the things we're going to have to think about is when you have a weight limit, because you can only take so much stuff, how can you take some stuff with you, which isn't going to unnecessary unnecessarily displace other stuff you need to take from a weight mm. perspective. Um, but also really add value properly. Because I did think, is this just mental? Is it just me overthinking? But actually I felt bloody awful when I came back and my body shape had changed dramatically. <laughs> um
0: yeah, but yeah. there's again there's that whole um you know I remember when we did the marathon disable people I took some um ready-to-eat meals that I'd got special mountain food I'd got from these people and um You know, honestly, they might have been nutritionally good, but they didn't taste very good. And after a day out in the desert, you know, and you're walking. And so, again, you had to carry all your food for the whole week. So you had to balance out having a heavier pack versus, you know, burning more energy, carrying that heavier pack. Yeah. Um, And in the end, I chose pot noodles. And (laughs) everybody said, well, that's not very healthy. And I remember speaking to somebody who was a he was a special forces soldier and he went, You don't want to be healthy in the desert. You just want to survive. You've got to eat calories. You yeah. can there's plenty of time for being healthy when you get back. And but they were the tastiest meals I'd had because they, they had lots of they had lots of salt in, they had carbohydrates, they, they yeah. did have some protein, even though it was freeze dried. Um, they had lots of fat. Um yeah. they had other probably other things that you couldn't even pronounce yeah. that were in there, but they were tasty. Um and uh, they were a bit more they were a bit more appetizing than the other things that I eventually gave away or brought back with me. Um so, and and you know, eating I, I think some guys even took bottles of olive oil to put on their food because oil's got lots of calories in and you just yeah. you're just adding you're just adding calories because that's what you need. Yeah. Um but but you've got to put any aside any notion of ethics or um as far as you can or or health, haven't you, for a few days. Cause, because because yeah. like you said doing what you're doing is not really healthy so there's no point in trying to offset it by eating healthily
1: exactly. there's, there's no point doing that and trying to eat clean as you go you, you just you know what i mean and
0: yeah i do i want to stay healthy but try not walking 80k a day then exactly
1: and and i think that's the thing is going back to the thing you mentioned you know i you know what what's the point of doing is what what have i learned from it or it is just that figuring out of the, the why really you're doing it and um because I have thought, right? Well, if I do this, because I generally don't know if I can do it. I'll, you know, am I going to get injured? Um, and and also, it's a it's a really difficult thing to do technically. Because you, it, a lot of it's unmarked. It's not even trails. You're just literally going over the mountains. So the likelihood of getting injured and doing yourself harm is really high. And and one thing we didn't quite touch on too much was the risk of getting an infection, right? Because,
0: Mm. you know,
1: we were having alcohol gel at the end of each feed stop because people were getting diarrhea and vomiting from picking Mm. up bugs. So the likelihood of getting ill and then getting wasted, all that kind of stuff comes into it. So, um, But because I have thought, well, if I do this, what do I do next? But the, the point is you don't know. Do this. See what it feels like. Kind of live it, breathe it. And then see where life is, and what you've been spat out as afterwards. And then take some time to decompress and mm. think. And then think about right now what inspires me, you know. And and think of it along that way. It doesn't. It, do you know what I mean? That's how I, would, I do. Because how far do you take it? You know, you can you can run Lands End to John O'Groats. You know, you you can you know run run Britannia. I think with Rat Race they do it over five weeks, right? You can go swim the Channel. You could go, you know you can do the transcontinental bike rides, whatever ram, whatever it is, it's always something that is further, harder, longer, mm. looks more insane or whatever. But the point is, it you know, are you inspired by it? And are you going to be able to, is the process going to kind of nourish you personally as you go along the journey of trying to get to the start line, which is all you can ever try and do is get to the start line. The rest is, you know, a lot of it's got out of your control, right? Um, can you do that in a healthy sustainable way um and and that's really the key with it you know because i I can look at something like ram and go that would break me you know trying to do something like that i know would break me and i don't have the life that's set up to do it so so don't even
0: yeah but on the other hand you could find a way of doing ram that where you got seven friends together and you shared a greyhound bus and you did it in a relay but not trying to go flat out for an hour just riding for an hour and then getting off and you're on the bus and you know, if you want to stop in a hotel, uh, you know, you don't have to keep going nonstop. So it's through the night. Um, so you can basically just do a cycle trip across America with your friends. You can ride the same route. I mean, let's face it, none of us are going to break a record either as a relay team or as an individual. So if you yeah. want to if you want to look back when you are 60 or when you've got grandkids and think, well, that was an adventure, then make an adventure that you share with friends so that there's something to at least swap stories about um, with other people.
1: And, and actually, the, the thing that I would like to do is, and, and a few of us, have, of us have talked about this, that we're on the loop, is do the Giro and the Valter, but ourselves, but do it in a different way. So now we've gone through this, we know actually we want to stay in nice hotels. And you know what? We want to have nicer food. And you know what? um What we'll do if we have 10 or 15 of us, then we only one, one bus, you know, and We'll hire someone who's a mechanic to come with the band, do the feed stops, and we'll choose the room, We will we'll choose the best stages yeah. over the twenty-one for for the Giro that they've been, and then we'll do it for us. Do, do you know yeah. what I
0: mean? I, I, I know exactly what you mean because after we'd done the Marmot trip in the Pyrenees, and it was a good trip, we all agreed that they were good organizers. Um, one of our group, John, who I mentioned earlier, um, he said. I could do a route. And we wanted to do lands into John O'Groats. So we planned a route ourselves. Um, One of the other guys, um, once we planned out the route, we decided, you know, we're going to ride for six or seven hours a day. So on this day, we're going to probably need to stop somewhere around here. So let's let's look at towns where we think that there might be enough accommodation for 15 of us, right? There's one here. Okay, that means it's a bit shorter on this day. It'll have to be a bit longer. Then we ride here. We want to avoid these places. We want to go there. We want to see this. Um, we've got to try and do it in nine or ten days. Um, we had a couple of drivers. We hired our own van, yeah. um, you know. And then, having done that one, we then rode from one of the guys had uh, and his family and friends had some ski lodges in Austria. So we we went from there to another guy's place in Austria, uh, in France. I have to say, after everybody, when we were skiing one time, saying, "How far do you think it is to ride from here to Jeremy's place?" Yeah. Well, I don't know, probably about 800 kilometers. Do you think we could ride it? Do you think we could, where would we go? And then, you know, over a more glasses of wine. And and then yeah. having done that, we then decided that we were going to um, ride through Italy and go from Austria down to Lake Como and then stay there for a couple of days. So we went through the Dolomites and did the Stelvio and all of those iconic climbs. But we've organized it ourselves. We've had our own drivers. We've, As you said, we've organized our own hotels, which are probably three four star a five star one at the end um and we've had much better adventures and and it's a little less stressful but but stressful you know it's hard work and and when we went to Italy it was the same temperatures you were experiencing 38 to 40 plus every single day um and 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 roads and roads been uh um it closed because of either a landslide or you know um the, the tarmac was unridable and so we had to go a different way so we had to reorganize the whole route but it's but they've but, but these are things we still talk about you know ten years on um, and yeah um it, it's enabled us to see some amazing places and experience some amazing things and i I you know it seems to me certainly for me now I get far more enjoyment out of doing something like that than I do out of um going and doing another Iron Man, which I've you know you and I have we've done enough of those that we don't perhaps need to return to that to for any yeah. sense of purpose.
1: And because this is about, it, all of this stuff's about your own personal journey. And, you know, so for me, doing another Ironman, relatively the achievement for me will be less than someone who goes and does their first couch to 5K. Sure. Right. And, 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 and that's, so to me, I, I, I would, I think that's far more significant achievement. Someone that's overcome all of those other barriers to actually mm. get up and start and do something, you know, and, and everything is relative. And you know, uh, it, I, I think just, just you know, without going on forever, the the thing I just want to reiterate is that the the organisers were fantastic. loop. I mean, they were genuinely brilliant. It was an incredibly different thing logistically to sort, and I think they do brilliantly. Um, the William Waits Moral Trust is is a fantastic trust and um, does really really worthwhile stuff. So I'd really, you know, if people were able to have a little click, maybe we'll put a link on that for for people to have a look at what they do. And that I wouldn't have got through those three weeks without drawing on the strength of other people. Mm. You know, none of this stuff you ever do on your own. And, you know, I was fortunate to have found a group of like-minded idiots on there who we had the same sense of humor, same approach to life and massively inspired by. I think if I was doing this on my own, I would have been just a whole other world of pain.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a whole other conversation, isn't it, about the, the community and community spirit and sociability of training for events. Because you and I both know that training for Ironman can become quite a solitary experience yeah. at some times. And um, whilst I see, you know, and I understand how it becomes so, um, I think that uh, being able to share that with people, even if it's just a swimming group or a, a group of people you go running with, sometimes you don't get to do what's on your plan for the day perfectly but the experience of being with other people at the end of the day might add more to the whole experience yeah yeah hmm. well james it's been great catching up um i hope it wasn't too painful for you to have to relive all of that i know i know it's been uh, it's it's been a, a tough few months for you
1: yeah well i mean I, hopefully it's not been too painful listening and um you know it's um
0: yeah thanks for having us on
1: and for listening
0: yeah, it's a pleasure. Maybe we'll get you back on next year to talk about the dragons back. <laughs> then we can then we can compare the two in terms of damage damage to your body and your mental health.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, maybe we'll see. Let's but, play right, one by then.
0: All bit. right, <laughs> thanks, James, for being here. Thanks, Wardy. Cheers. Wow. So, what did you think about that then? Well, thank you again to James for being my guest for both. Shows, and well, obviously, we recorded that all in one hit and we chatted for a couple of hours, so I really appreciate his time. Um, you probably realize that multi day events like this are about more than just riding fitness. If you're planning on undertaking an event like that, whether it's cycling, running, or something else, training and preparation are important, but attention to detail carries just as much weight, and it's often the things you don't consider which derail you. Now, if you don't already know about them, please check out my new Bite sized podcast episodes, which are released every Saturday. We recorded a few before Christmas, and I've started them again. So you can find those um, in the normal podcast site for this this program. They're around 10 minutes in length, and I share my insights on some very specific topics, like nutrition, zone 2 training, etc., etc. So if you've got any suggestions for me, please do drop me a line with those, and I'll try and see what I can do. If you want to make sure you get all the episodes in future please go to iTunes search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and then click the subscribe button and while you're there if you've got time I'd love it if you can leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or on your chosen platform okay that's all for this week next week I'll have another great guest and I hope you'll be able to join me